B1 Journalist of the Year from the American Conservative Union at CPAC 2015. You like me right now. You like me. He's Jim Garrity. How do you like me now? Now that I'm on my She's a broadcast professional who's got pop culture by the throat, and she won't let go. Crank up the radio. Run for your lives, everyone. This is not a drill. She's broadcast pro Mickey White. This is the Jim and Mickey Show. Welcome to the Jim and Mickey Show, brought to you by the San Andreas State Fair. Enjoy our deep-fried, deep-fryer batter. Marvel at the largest cow in the state and how it got shot. Enjoy the spinning ride, and then drive home in a dizzy, semi-alert state. Take a lick off the giant statue of Paula Dean made out of butter. Remember that Laszlo will be broadcasting live, so carjack a convertible and head on down to the San Andreas State Fair. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. And Mickey, it's been a, a long absence. I have returned from journeys to the exotic locales of Cleveland and Philadelphia for back to <laughs> conventions. No offense to our fine, fine listeners in that area. Actually, I spent a fun. week there one night. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. I lived in Cleveland for three years, actually. Welcome everyone back from our hiatus. Uh, I will tell you, there were times when Jim and I were able to touch base. And even in those times, I will say he sounded slightly out of breath and um, annoyed. Mickey, that doesn't sound like me at all. Uh, no, I know. I know. I, I just wanted to let the listeners know that the two weeks doing your globe trotting around the world at the DNC and RNC conventions did not change you. <laughs> you are the gym we thought you were. Uh, paying <laughs> tribute to the late Dennis Green. Yeah, no, I was going to say, both cities, I could tell, were putting, out their, putting their best foot forward. And I, I want to salute both of them. Uh, for anyone, any of our listeners in Cleveland, um, Cleveland really has a rough reputation. The mistake on the lake, uh, the river caught Browns. on fire back Morning in the sixties. Nineteen seventy was the year. Actually. Browns, yeah, the Browns. You know, only only until LeBron came back did they get a, a sports championship. You'd probably argue any city that had Mayor Dennis Kucinich hasn't it suffered enough. Um, <laughs> but actually, they they clearly knew this was their moment in the spotlight, and uh, they were going to put their you know it was actually most people agreed that it was much better, uh, just logistically organized. Everything was a lot closer together in Cleveland, and uh, enjoyed the you know the, the guy is I think it's Michael Simon, the guy on the Food Network yeah. who has that you know uh, yeah. he has one of his restaurants in Cleveland um, right. called Mabel's Barbecue, and man, you know. I could if, if they delivered to Northern Virginia, <laughs> I would still be ordering that and getting all the way out here. Because I've heard a great deal about Mabel's Barbecue. Uh, obviously, I, I'm not going to say why, but we know why because they're Browns fans. I take a lot of grief over Cleveland not sucking and Cleveland actually having things to offer. So, yes, I'm familiar with Michael Simon and his, his restaurant in Cleveland. Is it worth the hype that has been created around it? I would say so. Now, it is definitely it's you know it, it's a different style of barbecue. It's not quite. It's certainly not southern. It's not quite midwestern. I would say a little more kind of mustardy, vinegary. Uh, so like North Carolina. Yeah, there's definitely more of a tang to it. Uh, obviously, a lot of sausages, kielbasa. Uh, you're kind of getting into that Chicago Upper Midwest. Uh, Polish Central Eastern European uh, influence there, but uh, undoubtedly, so my that, best was that the highlight of your trip to Cleveland? Pretty much, because otherwise, you know what I was covering. Um, 
Yeah, <laughs> you of all people, you. <laughs> the other thing that Some uh, of these, uh, messages you sent me last week, um, over the last several weeks, actually have been more than entertaining. So I guess I should thank you for that. Well, it is, and the other thing is, is that so there was once. First of all, there are two traditions that have evolved in in our life that I'd kind of prefer we got rid of them. Um, one is that it used to be there used to be space in between the two conventions. Mm-hmm. They used to actually kind of spread them out. And then because each you know, party gets a bump out of it, they decided, okay, the this, this party that was going second wanted to have theirs right next to the other one. So as soon as they're getting their bump, we're going to put our, ours right after it and we'll step on their bump. We will interrupt their bump. Um, and that was the, so that's why they have to do them back to back, which is why it makes it a lot, you know, a lot tougher for those of us who cover both of them. Uh, and then they that's also okay. used to do them. Can I just say yeah. this? Yeah. Um, they need to be shorter. Um, they also, you know, no one's listening to me, so I'm just going to throw this out there. Uh, they need to be shorter. They need to have a tight schedule that they stick to. Um, it's great that they're throwing this party for people. It all does not need to be inside the convention hall and televised Uh, on either side. Yeah. And, and I think that that would benefit reporters like yourself, as well as the American people who by the fourth day, regardless, are like, seriously, are they still talking about this convention? And that's the night that the candidate's going to speak. Yes. Yeah. And the, the order of the speakers needs to be changed in priority from the most important in the party to the best at television. The worst thing I Thank ever saw you. was, yes. was oh Jeff Sessions following Laura Ingram. Talk about cold <laughs> water on the entire audience. It was poor Mr. Sessions. He's a great guy, but he had to follow the best speech of the, of the convention, and it was dreadful. As I say, the other phenomenon we're noticing, you may have noticed that, yeah, like particularly in the, in the Bush years, they started pushing the conventions later and later. And while that did cause some problems, such as in Tampa when they had a hurricane, <laughs> um, in retrospect, maybe you don't want to schedule your conventions for Florida cities during hurricane season. Um, <laughs> for their, if you subscribe to the theory that God hates Republicans, that hurricane was a pretty good evidence of that. Michael Steele's last gift to the party. Uh, the second observation of this, so this year they said, okay, because it's going too long and because of the way campaign finance works, we want to move it much earlier in the year. Let's do it in, in mid-July for everyone who had to wear a dark black wool suit <laughs> for four days walking through the streets yeah. of Cleveland and Philadelphia. This was I a terrible idea. It. I would not have done it. You guys could not have made me. I would have been wearing something summer. If I were a dude, I would have had shorts on. Even if I had to be on TV, like I would have at least had shorts on because they don't really get your legs anyway. This whole idea that fashion is oppressive to women, I'm not buying it, okay? You guys can wear skirts. <laughs> you guys can you know, you can wear sundresses. Are you kidding me? Yeah. They, yeah. They, they, even in a quasi-formal, I'm going to be on TV, you got to look professional type thing, women have a lot more options, and they're oh, a lot God, cooler. Yes. Thank God. Thank God for fashion. And I mean that because legitimately one of my favorite things in life is wearing sundresses. I think you both know this. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the benefits of being a chick. And it's basically like walking around half naked or possibly in, you know, a nightie. (laughs) Love it. Especially on hot days. I was going to say that uh, I, I, you know, I heard more than one woman in in Cleveland and Philadelphia making that observation. And the other thing is that if you're, if you're a guy and you're in this certain stance where you have to look a certain way, you're going to be on TV or whatever. Like the only person who can get away with wearing a white suit are Colonel Sanders and the architect at the end of the Matrix movie. Right? Those are the so only. Like, how does Seersucker work? Is that just for Tucker Carlson? Or I suppose that you occasionally see that, and the problem is that from a distance, it looks like you're wearing pajamas. 
Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> but you can roll the suit up into a six-inch plastic tube and drop it in your pocket. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking you could roll the little legs up so you could do some clam digging. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You're, uh, you know, there's the suit. Yeah. So. Um, Jim Garrity and Man Prees. Yeah, that's not. What do you think? I I, I want to I, I, listeners. I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Please let us know if you'd like to see Jim in some capris or man free. Oh, you can say <laughs> you want to see it. Doesn't mean you're going to see it though. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, there were a couple of times I'd be greeting my coworkers uh, in Cleveland, and I'd say, "Yeah, I'm, I'm meeting you there, but just letting you know I'm going to sweat on you." And they'd go, "Ha ha!" And then I'd arrive, and I would not actually projectile sweat on them. Uh, <laughs> But, Is that but something I, I, that you know, can happen? Are you a squirter? I look like I'd taken the ice bucket challenge. I, I it was you know totally dripping through me. <laughs> There's a certain the, safe range, squirter or no. The, <laughs> the fine gentleman Tim Alberta, our fine fine correspondent, said, you know, um, maybe maybe you should head back to the hotel and grab a shower or something. And it was, it was very you know, he's trying to become That's like, a real friend though. Like yeah. that is a real friend who will tell you get your ass back to the hotel and get a shower versus just letting you walk around looking you know a wreck. Squishy, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Looking squish, like squish, squish. <laughs> so, so, um, so as I say, spe- speak, speaking of things dripping on the carpet, how how is life with a puppy, Mickey? Oh, it's time for a puppy. Um, well, as you may know, um, my puppy Shiloh continues to grow, which is something that you know I was told would happen. Obviously, in getting a puppy, like it's going to turn into a dog, etc. However, as we discussed in our last episode, I'm not a thousand percent sure he's not growing every single night when I go to sleep. When I wake up, it's like Jack and the Beanstalk or something because I wake up the next morning and every day he appears to have grown physically an inch and, you know, a pound or two. You said when he comes up on you, he's almost as tall as you? uh, Well, you know, I am short. Uh, I wear heels all the time because I am short. Uh, he would not stand up to you or to Dave. Uh, but, like, on me, when he stands up on his back paws, he's already, his hands are already, like, at my boobs, basically. So no need to grow any further is what you're saying. <laughs> well, here, you know, he got weighed a couple weeks ago. He was 22 pounds. I'm going to guess he's closer to 30. He's actually going in for his very first little pedicure tonight um, at the spa. He's getting a, his hair did and whatnot for some travel that we have upcoming. Um, and hopefully we're getting those nails grinded down, to be completely frank. Um, but he's, you know, he's at this point, I'm going to guess, uh, close to 30 pounds. And he's just growing like a weed. And he's not, he's two weeks shy of four months. So for my dog people out there, I have heard, you know, all of the things that you can hear. But I will tell you, he is the sweetest puppy in the world. He is the sweetest heart. I love to post pictures of him. I'm a little obsessed, obviously. Um, but he's just great. And, um, and for all of my dog people out there, if you want to let me know uh, what, you know, what this whole new change of attitude is, by the way, around this time, where he goes from, like, really nice puppy to, like, really not as willful puppy or not as not as playful and much more willful and bullheaded i'd love to hear about that you can hit me up here you can also hit us up on twitter i'm at bias girl uh the show is at jim and mickey uh coming up in the next segment we're going to talk about how things can be a little strange when you're a stranger i'm mickey white he's jim garrity and we'll be right back there's a bold one in every family. 
Anywhere the bold one goes, he gets dirtier than anyone else. He's the bold one. He's the bold one. Bold can make the bold one bright. Bold can make even the bold one bright. Because bold has a power team that breaks up tough dirt and lifts it away. A power team so strong it makes things more than clean. So strong it makes things bright. Here's Cousin Harriet. Here's Cousin Gilbert. And, um, here you are. He's the bold one. He's the one we want. Bold for the bold one in your family. Bold can make the bold one right. Walt Disney's Sleeping Beauty. An unbelievable achievement in the art of animation. A timeless love story. With excitement, adventure, and awesome villains. Walt Disney's Sleeping Beauty, rated G. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. And you know, Mickey, I think if you people go back into the archives of this show, when you and I first heard about the musical Hamilton, I believe they played a small segment of it on some awards show. And do you recall what my, my general reaction was to what is, you know, at that point was already becoming the most wildly hyped musical of recent memory? Meh. Yeah. I was really, yeah that was... It looked okay, you know. Like really, that's that's it. This is you know. Well, I think there were a lot of people that had that feeling because sometimes I, I call it the Pulp Fiction effect. Mm. I did not see Pulp Fiction in the theaters by the time that it came out. Because remember, back in the day, you had to wait for it to come out on video or whatever, and it took forever. By the time it came out, I thought that if I watched it, like I would understand the secrets of the universe. <laughs> and as it turns out, about halfway through, I was like, seriously? And, and I watched it but was pissed off. And I didn't like Pulp Fiction for many years until yeah. I watched it again, thinking that I hated it. I watched it again and liked it much better. There you go. I was going to say you know, that, that buzz and hype can have a destructive effect. And I think Hamilton, you know, having watched more of it at the uh, – at the Grammy Awards, or I'm sorry, at the uh, the Tony Awards, um, it, it looks pretty good. Apparently, it's coming to the DC area. Uh, if Miss Campaign Spot and the boys and I could get tickets, I'd love to do it. I understand the the going price right now. Mickey is one kidney. Um, it's got to be a good one. Uh, it's one billion dollars. <laughs> yeah. So, so I don't know when I'll ever get a chance to see it in person. Every person I know who has seen it is coming out of it like. Like religiously transformed. <laughs> okay, but can I just say one thing while we're on the topic of Hamilton? Sure. I think that with Lin Manuel leaving, that they should be forced to like reduce the price of tickets, and certainly they shouldn't cost as much when they are on a traveling situation. Because part of what made the show great was he wrote it, he starred in it, he lived that character, and of course now we're at the stage of Broadway where they just replace the characters. Well, let's see how good the understudy is. I, I'm hoping that uh, obviously we're talking about big shoes to fill, uh, big giant colonial buckle shoes to uh, <laughs> to fill there. I was uh, uh, so I, the last time I saw Broadway musicals hat. was uh, the days of Les Miserables, and when they replaced Colm Wilkinson from the original West End production with Gary Morris of country singer fame. I wanted my money back too. I know exactly what you're talking about. Well, and I think about all of those people who spent a ridiculous amount of money online to purchase tickets to go see Hamilton, thinking they were going to see Lin-Manuel, 
because it always says cast may vary, but no one thinks that when yeah. they're spending a ridiculous amount of money online to purchase tickets that are sold out. And so they've paid this a ridiculous amount of money, and now they're not even going to get to see the, quote, star of the show. Yeah. So our, our observation is that hype can be damaging. Hype can actually harm uh, an audience response. It can really raise expectations to an impossible level. And I think if, with, with Hamilton kind of receding past its moment, uh, all of a sudden there is a new program that is just pe- – I, everybody I encounter, everyone's telling me, Jim, you've got to watch this show. You've got to watch this show. Uh, Mickey, you have actually seen this show, which is entitled Stranger Things. Correct. Stranger <laughs> Things. And it's one a of dramatic those things. Right <laughs> yes, that was a dramatic pause. Because <laughs> I need to tell you, first of all, it's shameful, shameful, Jim, that you have not watched this yet. For anyone who is not familiar with what Stranger Things is, I'm going to give you the quickest summary that I can, and then we can shame Jim some more. Because this is a show that is set in the 80s. It is the nostalgia alone is so spot on with the very small details that it hits you in the, that very like dark part of your body where you're like, oh my God, I had that. That reminds me of my house. Things like that. Um, the kids, the way they are dressed, the way they speak to each other, the things that they do, they could not do the 80s more justice than what they have done with this, this show. And it focuses around like, the boys, I'm going to guess, are 12 to 13 years old, roughly. And so kind of, you know, teenagers, boys running around the neighborhood on their bicycles and getting into trouble leads them into this world of Stranger Things, which is a mix of, you know, government conspiracies and Goonies-type spiritual natural things going on and it legitimately is the hit of the summer for a reason. One, it's been really hot and people can't go outside. (laughs) And two, this show is by far one of the most unique programs that I have seen and it definitely was pre-designed for Generation X. It It is your red meat, as they like to say. Oh, very good. As I say, it sound as you're describing it, it sounds like a lot of natural um, uh, uh, veins to mine creatively. Uh, I'm, I was always struck by how much, you know, uh, The Wonder Years was this runaway huge hit because all the baby boomers loved thinking about their childhood and watching Fred Savage reenact it. Um, and that we didn't really see as much for the 80s and 90s. We saw shows about it, but not about growing up in this era. Um, what you're describing, it definitely does sound like an E.T. Goonies, Steven Spielbergian vibe. Uh, Very that sense Spielbergian of- vibe. You nailed it. Then no. I described it well because that is, the, that is what I get from it. And people are obsessed and good to know they've already committed to a second season. Oh, very good. Okay. And this is Netflix or Amazon? This is on Netflix. Okay. And, um, and you know, if you don't have an account, find someone who does. <laughs> And go hang out with them for a while and, and watch it because it is absolutely, again, some of the best original content. And Netflix is good at that. But Stranger Things, and I don't want to give too much away because the entire point of the show is that it remains a mystery um, until the very end. And it leads into, you know, further mysteries as, they, as the good ones do. And I feel, again, that, Jim, you should now apologize and feel shame. Um. Not going to happen, but I will. I will note that we will. We will write that <laughs> we'll down. We'll forgive for the you only because you have been on the road and you now are uh, 
playing um, Mr. Mom as yes. well. I'm on, I'm on solo daddy duty for another day or so. Um, so quick question on this. So you, you, like, as with a lot of shows, that you, uh, somebody argued once that almost all stories are mystery stories. That the idea is even if you're watching a comedy, even if you're watching something, you know, it's a historical drama or something like that, that you're, you're identifying with a character and they're trying to get you into the mystery of what is the character, what's going to happen next? What is the character going to do next? How are they going to overcome this obstacle? And that if you don't feel that sense of mystery, that sense of wanting to guess what's happening next, that sense of being absorbed, it's not going to work for you. That that's, really, that's at the core of all good storytelling. There is so, definitely something to be said for that theory because you are – I mean you want to know what happens next mm-hmm. in a good story period. So this show, which obviously as you described, builds up to a revelation. I mean, usually this is the sort of thing that happens in a, a season finale. There's been a great deal of, of asking questions and clues and building up to it. Did the re- Without describing it, obviously you know, without spoiling anything, did it live up to your expectations or did it make you feel like, aha, okay, I see this was a good surprising – uh, did you feel satisfied when you watched that last episode? Um, I, I I think that it was the, a good way to wrap things up. Um, however, I you know I I'm not an expert on these finales because some I like and some I don't. I think that everyone will have a different reaction simply because of the way that the show is written. Some will be very very pleased with it. Others will be like, oh. You know, and, and but again, it doesn't matter because either way, there's no way to not like it. Okay, that's good. That's a that's a pretty strong endorsement right there. <laughs> yeah, um, it, it really is. And like I said specifically, you know, if you're a Gen Xer and you have felt like we are completely ignored by the world, I think this this might be the first moment that Gen Xers feel like, yes, thank you, God. <laughs> that's the '80s I remember. And because most of us did not live in the lavish 80s of the Gilded Era. We, you know, lived yeah. home. We were growing up. We had other things going on. We weren't greed as good, ambitious stock traders. and, and No, and so. so this is a much more realistic look as, as, as absolutely fantastical as the story is. It's a much more realistic at the people of the 80s. And I said this earlier, but the details, the nostalgia, and mm. I don't want to give too much away, but there's a phone that's hanging on the wall that's yellow, and it has a cord. <laughs> there you go. That, that'll take you back. Kitchen See, yellow. There was linoleum <laughs> in the kitchen. <laughs> um, my One of the unexpected people I ran into in, uh, uh, in Cleveland was someone who's, we've mentioned on this program a few times, my friend Flint Dilly, um, who – uh, was one of the guys who was one of the programmers, but he wasn't just uh, Ingress, by the way. He also was one of the people who was part of the team of Pokemon Go. So the reason of you, you, the reason people are walking off cliffs and all that stuff is it's, it's Flint had a hand in that one too. But uh, only you could bring that up in a casual passing way. We may need to discuss this in the next. Segment. All right, so we will you know, we will head to this in the next segment. Last point: something he said, which is sticking about as you say the the eye for the detail and the things that that kind of brings somebody into a story. Uh, he was reading uh, Keith Richards' autobiography, which apparently people are raving about. And he talks about how what, ha- what really brings – I assume there's a co-writer or a ghostwriter. Yeah, but apparently Richards himself really – people were raving about this as being one of the best uh, musician uh, autobiographies in, in recent memory. But anyway, so the, Keith, one of Keith Richards' points that he says in this story is that what brings a person into the song isn't the notes. It's what happens in between the notes. 
And you're looking at that and you're saying, well, wait a minute. But then you realize that it's kind of the, the vibe, right? It, it's kind of right. – the argument is just as your mind fills in the details of a story that aren't on the page, that what happens in your mind when you listen to music is it fills in the gaps. It, it kind of brings everything together. It's not just a series of staccato notes. And so it just kind of struck me as a um, – as you can tell, I've been thinking a lot about creative writing and storytelling and how to do all that kind of stuff. And it sounds like, as you're describing, Stranger Things is somebody – this has to be a passion, a, a, a work of passion of somebody, a, a yes, personal this, story. Yes, this definitely something. appears to be a passion project. And thank God they had the passion and the fortitude to stick it out and get picked up by Netflix because it is so worth watching. I will say this. The language is probably um, PG-13 and up. Uh, but it, you know, again, that's just something to keep in mind when watching it. You don't want to necessarily watch it with the little ones. Uh, coming up in the next segment, we're going to talk about one of the things that Jim just brought up because I'm not just going to let him slide on. Oh, by the way, I ran into the guy who created Pokemon. <laughs> I'm Mickey White. He is Jim Garrity, and you're listening to the Jim and Mickey Show. We'll be right back. This week's Jim and Mickey Show photo meme of the week: a picture of Keith Richards with the slogan. We need to start thinking about the world we will leave for Keith Richards. Tell <laughs> <laughs> me, folks, step right up, shoot a duck, and win a jar of natural orange-flavored tang. It's the new improved tang that tastes better than ever. Boy, I like instant tang, but I hate the idea of shooting a relative. Just shoot one little duck, duck, and get this big jar of tang. Tang? Goodbye, Auntie. You missed, but you can't miss with Tang. And if you really want Tang at its best, make up a pitcher full and cool it off in the refrigerator overnight. Great for breakfast or any tasty old time. Mm. Just cuddle in some of that Tang. Okay, Aunt Duck, hold still. Why, you miserable Tangster? Now wait, I was just kidding. March. Step right up, folks. Get the rabbit and win a big jar of tang. See, it's a living drink tang, gang. It's tangerific. Crank up the radio. Back to the Jim and Mickey show. Hi, I'm Mickey White here with Jim Garrity and Dave Perkins. And I want to continue what we were discussing in the last segment because, you know, obviously Jim is the only person on the planet who would very casually mention at the end of a segment, oh, by the way, I uh, happen to be friends with the guy who created Pokemon Go. And then just drop it right there. <laughs> he's, he's one of a team, but he was, a, he was one of the key architects. Was, you and I, in one of our first shows, had talked about the game he designed for Google called Ingress. Yes. Uh, which was kind of with these first, and, you know, Flint speaks practically his own language, but one of the first things he said was like, oh, you know, for a long time it looked like vir- virtual reality was just kicking our asses. And no, no, we realized augmented reality is where it is. And so this is my, my terribly bad Flint Dilly impression. If he's listening, I'm sorry. I hope um, he's <laughs> but, uh But he, you know, uh, Ingress was that first game where you you'd walk around on your phone to various landmarks and it was either, you know, green team or blue team. You tagged it, and you had enough of the people who were there. They would change it from red, green to blue, and you were trying to, uh, to you know, ac- accumulate territory by claiming these. For limits. new listeners, we did an entire segment. Segment, I'm sorry, on Ingress at 
uh, one of our earlier shows. So if you just pull us up on the SoundCloud page, that's soundcloud.com forward slash Jim and Mickey show, you can find all of our archives, including that one. The Olympics so- are coming up this year. I think Pokemon Go probably can't make it into this year's games like they brought golf back to the Olympics. But maybe <laughs> maybe four years from now, there will be there will be team falling off cliff and team tripping into fountain, and they'll be able to get medals for that stuff. I would they, watch Team Tripping Off Cliff. Now, also, our regular listeners may remember like three episodes ago, I was making fun of Pokemon Go as this um, giant Japanese conspiracy to take over the minds of children. Um, and I've obviously spent the last couple of weekends when I've not been at the conventions with my boys walking around various public parks and catching, oh, we've probably caught like 30 or 40 Pokemon by now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, we've there been sucked into it. Uh, actually, here's the thing. It really is enjoyable, and I'd say about 80% of the time, the boys are really nice with each other and saying, oh, it's really good. Hey, good job. You caught that one because you have to flick the little balls to, to get I'm the buggers aware, to go in. As you know, that, that one mean Pokemon took on my balls one day. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I believe it's, it's the ball snatcher, right? It's the, Something it's, like that, yeah. Oh, it's oh, all of them. Uh, I believe Scrotograbba. <laughs> From Olympic sport to X-rated movie in one swell foop. And the, the remaining 10% of the time, the boys are like fighting over my phone and in danger of dropping it. So, uh, but, uh, so no. actually it appears as though you are playing Pokemon Go, not the boys, because they don't have phones yet. <laughs> That's if fantastic. Did, yeah, so, so we know we, we, it is a, we, are, we are a team together. We all work together. We take oh, you're turns. a team Pokemon hunters. I like it. You know, that's how I look at Shiloh and I. We're a team. <laughs> when I go out hunting, you know, Shiloh's right there with me hunting the Pokemon. Uh-huh. And uh, one of the things when we discussed Pokemon Go last a few weeks ago when I was out experimenting with it was that I said I was already in love with the Pokemon stories. And the headlines that are created by Pokemon and our listeners have been sending them to me all over social media. And I want to thank you. And I want you to continue doing that because they are some of the best stories ever. Um, some of them are really positive. You know, amazing things have happened. Some of them not so positive. People, you know, getting hit by cars and whatnot. There is a part of me that feels like Pokemon Go has brought natural selection <laughs> to the forefront for everyone. I wonder if the game always had that little opening screen saying, please be aware of your surroundings at all times. <laughs> it ma- actually did not have it the first time I loaded. There you go. It's all right. So maybe that's, you know, kind of a uh, legal team online too. Got to take care of that. Be so. aware of your surroundings. You may bump into one of those idiots who's about to kill himself. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's, it's insane. But if you look around in areas, and Jim, I'm certain if you've had the boys out at the parks, there are actual, and you're going to die about this, listeners. Children outside running around in parks. Oh, yeah. No. The, in, uh, in, in Fairfax County, they're actually keeping the parks open past dark because they said that the, the level of interest and, and people that stuff. So they usually be, you know, it goes down at dusk and it's summertime. So the mm-hmm. sun is going down at eight. Three of the parks are actually keeping them up late. <laughs> they're keeping them there open later so you can spend more time catching Pokemon. So this has got to be the best thing to happen to public parks. In uh, in many years, this is all. It's actually a joint conspiracy between the Japanese and the National Park Service. I'm telling you, there's an entire Pokemon economy, and we discussed last week. There actually is an o- an Uber for Pokemon, <laughs> where you people are advertising online on Craigslist that for like 25 bucks they'll drive you around to hunt Pokemon. There are people you can pay to hunt Pokemon for you. 
to level up to a place where like you want to get to, et cetera. I mean, there is this entire hunters. Yeah, right? <laughs> That's exactly what I guess they would be. Um I look forward to their reality shows. Those should be interesting. Um but I think that the the Pokemon economy is fascinating to me. And so again, I and, and the Pokemon headlines. So please listeners do continue to send those to me because I love them. And now look, Jim is a Pokemon hunter as well. <laughs> I, I, you know. Dave's casting in the background. When Dave starts playing Pokemon, it'll it'll be complete, and we will all never. be competing the about. The circle you know, will never, be complete. Never, the circle will never be complete. <laughs> I will never play well, Pokemon. Never. Was when you talked to Flint Dilly about this, was he surprised at the phenomenon that it was? Because I know it took you know ten, twenty years to get to this point to build it. But the phenomenon of oh, once yeah. it was released, it was overnight the most downloaded app in history. Yeah, uh, he he had kind of known. Look, they do they had a good game, and you know that fans of Pokemon would like it and and all that kind of stuff. But it definitely has become you know as with Hamilton, as with uh, uh, some you know sometimes things just catch the the wave. They just all of a sudden spread. And you know, you and I were that opening weekend where we're teasing about how all of a sudden our Twitter feeds were all about people. Look at this one I caught, you know, and, and just totally getting into it. Um, it's entirely possible a couple of months from now this has become kind of, eh, you know, Pokemon. That's so summer of 2016. Um, <laughs> but I, I think, look, it, it's a fun game. I imagine it's simply a matter of time before. Everything um, is a fad, though. That's, yeah. that's the one thing that, like, everyone's like, oh, this is a fad, this is a fad. Look, everything is a fad. Nothing stays in style forever. So why not enjoy it? Yeah, you know Disney here? is contemplating some way to create an augmented reality game with Disney characters. With There's Marvel one characters. coming with Harry Potter. Harry Potter, Star Wars. There you go. Exactly. Okay, you so. want to see me get involved? <laughs> it's gonna be Harry Potter. Like I'm gonna be all up in that bitch. So I need you to understand. Like I'm all about the augmented reality games. You were suggesting that, you know, he said that that was their big get. Thinking like outside of virtual and making it augmented. There is nothing more enjoyable to me than actually pulling up one of the little Pokemon monsters and watching it like taunt me, tease me before I kill it. Just watching it dance around in my environment, like moving it around. I, as I've told you listeners, you know, I like to put it on people's shoulders. I like to see it like, you know, sitting in my car. I like to see it doing weird things because you can take it and move it wherever your camera can see. And it, that alone is worth the download for me, whether I ever like become a great Pokemon hunter or not. Because admittedly, should. my obsession with just watching the monsters dance around has cost me killing them because you move out of the area. <laughs> I, I think they should make them like gremlins to where they can change into something horrible that kills people. Make it a game with some stakes. You know there, you go, but like, there you go. There you go. Dave, they evolve. Right? <laughs> yes, they change yes. from one kind to another. So. <laughs> Pocket I'm surprised someone's protesting. At me and laughing at me and mocking me. One even had like a, said a little ping pong paddle. <laughs> I died. I died. I'm like, I cannot. Like, of course I would download this. Of course I enjoy it. And no, I'm not like a huge Pokemon hunter. But when I take my walks and, you know, when I'm riding in the car and I'm not driving because <laughs> I'm not stupid, um, I will play Pokemon. You know, I'm surprised we haven't heard more of that, of people trying to play while driving. Hey, because, man, you got the text uh, message killers out there. Why not I was going to say, please feel free to check my timeline. <laughs> As I've mentioned, that listeners have sent me some things. Oh, and, have they? Um, All right. So. There, have been, there have been Pokemon-related accidents. 
from not just the people walking, but unfortunately for people driving as well. <laughs> yeah, natural selection at work, right? right? Survival of the fittest. This is a really, really good way to call some herd. <laughs> All those left-wingers saying we need to reduce our population, let's do it the, the clever way. Let's, let's build a video game that will, that will reduce it for them without having to spend any taxpayer dollars. It's, it's, it's weird. It's a <laughs> Logan's run. No, it, but which, which sci-fi dystopia has the kids competing in contests? Is it uh, kind of Hunger, Hunger Games, games right? That's right? You know, so. Hunger Games. What was the other they one? They all have to die. Oh, The Running Man. What about that? The maze Runner. Uh, the Maze, uh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, the, the Divergent. Theory. Yeah, Divergent, so all yeah. of this stuff. We're all living in that. You know, that's, Running that's, Man. It arrived a lot quicker than we expected. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, Tron. That's right, Tron. <laughs> Tron, you actually become the game, remember? So, yeah, at some point, some nefarious genius said, if we can't suck people into the game... <laughs> How can we bring the game into the real world? <laughs> See, I'm telling you, dude. See, that crosses and, and lines with my little monsters that turn into real monsters that eat you. Yeah. <laughs> I like it, Dave. I'm not going to lie. There. Anytime I see there. a little monster eat something, it makes me really happy. I don't know if you guys have seen Vision Quest. <laughs> if, or Vision Quest. I'm sorry, Galaxy Quest. Yeah. Uh, Vision Quest is an entirely different movie. Cute little baby Galaxy monster. Quest, but yes, Dave, <laughs> when the cute little baby aliens come out and they're everyone's like, ah, and, and the guy in the red shirt says, have you guys never watched the show? Security guy. Suddenly the little baby aliens turn evil and show their gnashing teeth and attack them. <laughs> you know, I, I was, I, as we're observing this, you know, is Google, is Google Glass still a thing or do they get rid of that because there are too many privacy concerns? The idea of wearing glasses. Thing. I mean, I think you can get them. I just don't think it's a thing. I think that people who probably use them for some purpose have them, but I don't think you see other than maybe hipsters and parts of Brooklyn walking around with Google Glass. I still see them featured in movies as things that the clever guys wear, so there must still be available. So in other words, imagine that you get Google Glass with, like, augmented reality. (laughs) Yeah. Right? And then you end up with a... uh, a Well, then then it's like Total Recall. Yeah, I mean, then you're, like, you're putting it on, and you can actually run around and see all these things all the time. So I can see that... uh, uh, you know, you can imagine. You imagine like you could play the game, and just play it endlessly. And of course, instead of you know, you put a little device in your using your phone, you can catch them instead of something different. Futurama had a segment where they installed the iPhone into your eye, and it was called an EYE, an iPhone. Uh, <laughs> ah. <laughs> on that note, and on that note, we'll go from the the magic of technology to the magicians right after this. <laughs> Flight leader to ideal fighter jet, clear for takeoff. Roger! This is fighter jet and making a left bank to join formation. Flight leader to ideal fighter jet, turn indicator on. Red warning light will tell you when you're off course. You're flying by radar, holder steady. Enemy plane coming in at 2 o'clock. Enemy out of machine gun range. Set your range finder, get set to use rockets. He's in my sight. Rockets ready. Fire one. Flying in Ideal's electronic fighter jet is like flying a real jet fighter. You work the throttle, indicators, radar scope, and warning light. You control six moving targets, fire four rocket guns. Buy Ideal's fighter jet wherever good toys are sold. It's a wonderful toy. It's ideal. 
Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Jim Garrity, along with Mickey White. And now we go from the cutting-edge, hip, fun things uh, like uh, uh, Pokemon Go and Stranger Things to the Magicians, which probably uh, we probably should have talked about several episodes ago, a couple of weeks ago. It was very big in the spring. But I'm watching it now on demand, so we're finally getting around to it. So first of all, Mickey, are you familiar at all with this show on sci-fi? Not only am I familiar with it, Jim, I have actually watched the entire first season. Oh, have you? Wow. You quite right. All right. So did you watch this when this was out or? No, I, like you, watched it on demand, but it was during a period when I was in a show hole, <laughs> so to speak. And I asked our listeners and our fans via Twitter what, um, what I should be watching, and someone suggested The Magicians. And, of course, they suggested many things, but that was one of the things they suggested. I pulled it up. I'd never heard of it. Um, and so I ultimately ended up getting sucked in and watching the whole first season. Mm. I, so thank you, listeners, again. Yeah. So I found myself um, – the Mrs. Campaign spot had said, eh, let's give this a try. I think I'd seen the novel by uh, Lev Grossman there. Probably picked it up, read the back of it, eh, and then kind of put it back down again. Um, and it's kind of an intriguing, you know, I, I, I'm st- it's a concept that's working better than it should, uh, or maybe I should say the performance is better because you might say, oh yeah, it's it's you know Harry Potter, Harry Potter goes to college. Uh, well, it's Harry <laughs> Potter goes to college and acts like an American college student. Um, and and I think that that's an interesting twist. I think the pop cultural references, it's very current. Mm. Um, you'll see more of that as it goes on. These are not angels by any means Mm. they're all kind they all have that two-sided behavior of you know that all humans do they're very three-dimensional in that respect um i think it's interesting because i think the lead female protagonist looks like a poor man's version of jennifer um what's her name jennifer love hewitt Oh, interesting. Okay, yeah. And now you'll never not be able to see it. But I love the show. Like, and, of course, because I want my powers at some point, I feel it's important <laughs> to study up on all of these things. At first glance, you could find the protagonist to be a little bit of a whiny millennial. Um, it definitely feels like you're, you're watching the story of um, these kind of, if not quite spoiled, then generally uh, very bright elite going off to Ivy League uh, high expectations of them. Traditionally, straight A student uh, who are you know kind of these are you know um, the the urban elite. What we used to would call you know rising yuppies or something like that. Except they're kind of hipster millennials. Well, there's a reason they call it young adult fiction mm. for a reason. Yeah. Oh, and it clearly is. You know, you know. I, I was kind of struck by is how easily it overcame that. What could have been uh, annoying protagonists. Um, all kind of becomes these, you know, as you said, they're, they're flawed characters. I do kind of like the way um, magic is kind of treated as an urban legend in this uh, in this world. It's seen, you know, you can actually find spells on the internet. You just can't find, you know, ones that actually work uh, without endless research. It's kind of these little like underground secret societies, and you know, people who believe it's seen as kind of this kind of this you know like superstition on steroids people actually seem to believe that spells work and of course some people really can make them work and things um i'm also really enjoying how they've uh in that first episode they acknowledge this very malevolent force called the beast and you know what's you know what's a really good move that not enough creative teams can do mickey what's that keep your villain off screen 
Ah, yeah. Don't have them appear regularly. Don't have them showing up and saying, blah, ha, ha, I'm going to get you. <laughs> the more you don't know about them, the more, you know, the more ominous and strange and unnerving it is that you know that there's this malevolent force out there. And every once in a while you get this, you know, uh, the creepy smiley face symbol or something like that, kind of saying, I'm watching you, but it's not beating you over the head. And the fact that I'm, you know, two episodes from the end and I know so little about the beast and what its ultimate agenda is, right? is really good. It really, may, you, know, you know, now maybe as we were talking about with Stranger Things and the, uh, uh, in an earlier segment, it's possible these revelations in the last two episodes will disappoint the heck out of me. I don't know. <laughs> but um, I, I'm consistent. I'm finding Similarly, it. Similarly, I yeah. think it sets you up for even more fun in a second season. Mm. I was going to say, it, it seems to be building up towards something. Um, and I don't know whether it's like the, the world getting a clearer sense of it, uh, of magic and stuff, but you definitely get the feeling of. Um, I mean, people could say, oh, you're seeing the, the comparisons to the, the Charles Xavier's School for Gifted uh, uh, Mutants. You could say the, the comparisons to Harry Potter and Hogwarts and stuff. This, on the one hand, there's this kind of – this is a very common trope of you are a special person. You have been chosen by destiny and now you're going to go to this special school and you'll be trained to be something extraordinary. I cannot um, wait till you watch the end. Right. Um, and having said that, I think that – you know, that trope is popular because, one, people like it. Mm-hmm. And, two, I wouldn't read this book. Um, I read all the Harry Potters because they were really well written. Mm-hmm. Um, I picked up and read about half of the first Hunger Games because it was so poorly written. Mm. Um, I have a problem with young adult fiction when it's written, usually because it's written so poorly. And I don't know if this is good or bad, but I do know that I really enjoyed the show. Um, one of the things that, you know, obviously was big on television and kind of grew and developed was Sharknado 4. Ah. And I was all about that. Like, I need you to understand that my Sharknado 4 viewing experience was interrupted with one of these crazy summer storms where I had been so psyched about Sharknado 4 for days, like days excited about it. Because it's just, again, a kind of show that I used it in the last sense that made me think of Sharknado was it's fun. Mm. And I think that, you know, I feel like the magicians are fun. I feel like Sharknado is something that people enjoy because it's silly, it's fun. My wife made me turn it off. Right, right in the first 15 minutes, my wife made me turn it off. I'm going, what are you doing? It's Sharknado 4. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and, it, and it's one of those things where it's like you either love it or hate it, apparently. I happen to love it. Me too. And I, I enjoy the buildup knowing that someone's going to get eaten, mm-hmm. that I want to see eaten. <laughs> um, and, I, you know, it's funny because I start picking out. So anyway, long story short, halfway through the show, or the movie rather, our power went out. the shark's got it it's a sharknado coming over your house yeah so I'm like and I jokingly had mentioned like oh there's a sharknado coming thunder's rolling blah 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 (laughs) and then next thing you know we literally have no power and it flickered on and off several times for like an hour so I couldn't watch the end of sharknado and live tweet it which is my life I was so disappointed the sharknado series had taken a great joy in being terrible Like, like, like just being over-the-top terrible, coupled with some cute, uh, in-jokey stunt casting. Robert Hayes as a pilot (laughs) because of, you know, airplane. 
got a drinking uh, problem. Judd Hirsch as oh, a, the uh, a taxi driver. The taxi driver, oh. that's yeah. right. Uh, <laughs> but I, if I remember correctly, the Mickey, in the second one, uh, a shark ate Jared from Subway. Um, <laughs> so the sharks really were the heroes all along. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and, and you know, anyone who really has been watching this election season should go back. Go back. I'm sorry, and watch Sharknado Three, mm, with the which Mark- was set in quote DC. Um, and, and Mark yeah. Cuban was the president, and and Coulter was the vice president, and of course I don't want to spoil anything, but you know people get eaten. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's kind and of we're yeah. seeing lots of people get eaten. I, I think that once I had seen number three, and I believe they ended up going up into space and and all that kind of stuff. I had kind of hoped that because these Sharknados keep happening around Finn, our hapless hero played by Ian Ziering. Ian, you know, uh, clearly his finest works it's 90210 and to yeah. give his credit he really kind of dives into uh, an utterly ridiculous role he sells out which yeah. is what makes it great he like, does he a, such a good job he makes me think he could be the hero in an actual movie with an actual hero I mean he's yeah. really right. good and I would have never thought that before it, it's nope. that Leslie Nielsen ability to play ridiculous situations utterly straight Yes. And that if there's any wink, if there's any smile, it's not going to work. But as far as he's concerned, he really is dealing with a Sharknado. And so I've decided that there's only one appropriate way for the next Sharknado sequel to end. Okay. Um, we need either through hallucination or something. It needs to be very clear that the sharks can now talk. Let's, let's give the sharks dialogue. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I like where you're going. So he finally says, you know, why, why is this always happening to me? Why are the sharks chasing me? Why is this, you know, why am I always the one who's near the Sharknado? And the shark has to say to him, you know, this, you, never told, you were never told what happened to your father. <laughs> and, you know, and, and, and Finn has to say, I know enough. I know my shark ate my father. And the shark has to look back and say, no, Finn, I am your father. <laughs> He's named I Finn after it. all, right? And one of the beautiful moments, of course, is that would fit perfectly considering they lift so many lines from Star Wars <laughs> and they kind of like <laughs> trick you into looking for them. Uh, and I'm your b- father. before we end this segment, I would be remiss if I did not mention that Finn's son, the new um, generation of chainsaw wielding shark killers, is named Gil. <laughs> So, you know, just keep in mind that this family obviously has some aquatic connection. And I love where you're going with the talking sharks. I mean, really, we've already got a lot of talking sharks out there. They just don't all have fins. Ah, ah powerful metaphor there. So, yeah. <laughs> Who knew what a grand scale all these things would be? Uh, sorry, sorry. Nice. I'm Mickey Waite. He's Jim Garrity. You're listening to the one and only Jim and Mickey Show. We'll be right back. You probably know the person who reaches for the phone and never reaches for the phone book. That's a waste of phone books and a waste of money. Every day, 13,000 of your telephone dollars go into paying operators to look up 185,000 numbers already listed in your directory. Before you reach for the phone instead of the phone book, stop and think about it. If you honestly need a number and can't find it listed, call us. That's why we're here. But please, look in the book first. When you're out to get the beer, don't fool around. Get the best name in the business. Oh, old Milwaukee beer. It tastes as great as its name. 
Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. You know, it's summer. It's time for travels, if you're not terrified of, terrified of Sharknados. Uh, and for a lot of folks, <laughs> summer travels will include the, the, the state fair or the county fair. And Mickey's Trivial Tuesday for this week was an intriguing question. What, what, is it, was it, what part of the state fair appeals to you the most? Or what is, what is the deep fried object you like most at the uh, state fairs? What, what, well, the question was more posing of the latter um, in the way that you just put it because the question was because, let's face it, we go for the animals, we go for the rides, all of that, et cetera, yada, yada. But the real deal is we go for all of the food. So the question was, what is your favorite fair food? Mm. Um, is there anything? Okay, I'm going to genuinely say the deep fried. Uh, I've had a deep fried Oreo. It was pretty darn good. Funnel cakes. Funnel, Funnel cakes. Funnel cakes with dusted nice. sugar on them. Yep. Um, a lot of people suggested that anything on a stick <laughs> was important. Um, I also found, um, you know, me personally, I, I'm a fan. When I go home to my my county fair, I, I guess I should probably tell you guys this. Oh God, this is good. Um, I'm a former fair queen there, so oh, really? I consider myself an expert in fair food, mm-hmm. and I have my favorites picked out. One of the first things I will have to have, all and and you know what, I'll be sick for a week when I get home, and I don't <laughs> care. Um, but I'm going to have a fried stromboli from Stromboli Land, mm-hmm. and it is absolutely fantastic. You really can't get them anywhere else. They, I don't know what they do or how they use their dough, and then they deep fry them, and they're sealed, and they're just delicious. And so I will be doing that. I'll be doing steak on a stick. Someone sent me a picture of something called the Garbage Burger that is in um, – is in the Indiana State Fair. Now, obviously, you know, our Texas fans, they believe that everything at their fair is better. Why, Dave? Because if it ain't got jalapenos on no, that's not it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> why is oh, well, because everything's because, bigger in Texas. Okay. So. Yeah, it's bigger and better. Because so you had me distracted by out. food for a little bit. But um, one of our listeners, uh, the handle is Dr. Alfred Bellows on Twitter, sent... At the Minnesota State Fair, the Salem Lutheran Church serves up a meatball sundae. Cheese curds are there, and they're greater than anywhere else. Huh. Can you imagine a meatball sundae? Well, like, so, the so there's no ice cream in this, right? Not... Buffalo okay. Yeah, it's not like a real sundae. It's okay. a, meat, a sundae made of meatballs. Uh, our great <laughs> friend, fan, listener, and critic, Jazz Shaw... Suggested the fried bread dough rolled in sugar cane. Ooh, all right. And uh, Becky sent a picture, Becky Cavoian uh, sent us a picture of Bob Cavoian with a sizzling hot ribeye sandwich. <laughs> very nice, very nice. Yes, very nice, right? And that's from their Junebug Journey site. Uh, most people wanted uh, listed corn dog. And uh, for those of you who suggested that if I ate a corn dog, I should take a picture of it. You're going to need to be disappointed because I don't, will not be eating a corn dog. And if I did, I probably would take a picture of it. What about uh, uh, roasted corn, corn on the cob? No? Oh, okay. yeah. And oh, Trent, again, a listener out there, has suggests that one of the fairs um, out there have a soft lemon, a soft serve that is lemon 
mm-hmm. that is homemade by the 4-H. And I was realizing, like, hey, someone suggested apple fritters, elephant ears, things of that nature. My list includes, because I do, in fact, have a list to go back to the fair in which I've memorized the locations of all of my favorite foods. <laughs> um, I want Stromboli Land. I'm going to need to have some of the Boardwalk French fries that are fresh cut with, as we've discussed, malt vinegar and ketchup. I'm going to have to have steak on a stick. Um, I used to get this, like, apple cobbler thing with ice cream on it. It was really good, but I might have to skip that, see if there's something new and interesting that I need to try. I'm not sure if I'm going to have room for some Sammy steak, but if I do, I'm going to shove it in my face. (laughs) So, yeah, that's kind of my list as it goes right now. But like I said, you know, it's interesting to me, growing up in a small rural area, the fair was where we saw a lot of our first concerts, um, and we had a very large fair. Um, servicing a very large area. So we had a lot of, you know, top shelf entertainment come through there. I saw some of my first concerts there. Um, I won my first pageants there um, or some of them. And I, uh, you know, and I ate every single thing that was ever offered there. So while I, I do believe there are some quote unquote bad fair foods, 95% of it all depends on the person that you talk to. Yeah. So uh, as you're going through that list, Mickey, I was checking the uh, you know, weird food that you can deep fry. And one I'm looking at, I just can't believe it's so obvious. I cannot believe it has been done more commonly or anything. Cookie dough. Brilliant. Just take, you know, a wad of chocolate chip cookie dough, put it. So it's kind of like a cookie, but it's kind of like a deep fried, you know, little more cake dough. Yeah. You it know. should cook you the same on the inside. Something. Yeah. And if it's on a stick, it's that much better. <laughs> Yes. Oh, my God. And put it on a stick. That is freaking genius. Um, Next week, I will promise to tell you all about the story of whether or not I go through my plan to um, get close to the current queen because she has a gigantic crown that I am unbelievably jealous of in all the pictures that I have seen. I have already discussed my plan with Mr. Bias. He claims that if I actually go through with it, he will be videotaping the whole thing and will not, and I'm quoting now, bail me out. <laughs> That's so a lifetime crown. In the next episode. <laughs> it's mine. It's mine, and it always will be mine. It's a lifetime crown. It's huge. They got a new one. And it's awesome and huge. And I saw it and immediately, of course, you guys know me. My first thought was I should knock her down and take that crown (laughs) Um, because that's how I am. So I'll keep you posted on my plan and how that goes. I want to thank everyone who has stuck with us through um, the hiatus. And it's been a crazy summer. That's for sure. I blame everything on 2016. Um, thanks so much for sticking with us at soundcloud.com forward slash Jim Mickey show. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us on Spreaker. And uh, thanks to Alcon Radio and thanks to 405 Radio and several other online areas you can find us. If you listen to a podcast, you can find the Jim and Mickey show. But the Facebook home of the Jim and Mickey show is facebook.com forward slash Jim and Mickey show, please do become a fan there and start interacting with others in the community. I'm Mickey White. He's Jim Garrity. Dave Perkins is behind the board. Yep. And you've been listening to the one and only Jim and Mickey show. And that's just what I was looking for. There seems to be no sign of intelligent life anywhere. <laughs> 